Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Our reading tonight is Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Let us again pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do come before you now upon the public reading of your word and its preaching, and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, who has given us this privilege and promise. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would help us believe your word, hear your word, obey your word, be reformed by your word. We pray that we would be strengthened by all that we hear, and that through faith we would walk in that strength to your praise, to your honor, and to your glory, to our great good and enjoyment of you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 12, verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is God's word. One of the best things about your religious life is that Jesus Christ has delivered you from having your religious life weighed down by injustice. With messianic authority, Jesus has dismissed all the unjust traditions of men that men want to put upon the religious life. By speaking out against unjust traditions, traditions, which we heard our Lord doing last Sunday night, by speaking out against these unjust traditions, also known as the halakha, the traditions of the Pharisees, the traditions of the leaders, not the Torah, but man-made stipulations that were foisted and pressed upon God's people by speaking out against these unjust traditions, Jesus has given our faith strength, vitality, and even sincerity and simplicity. By him, by Jesus Christ, we know now that a religious life is not opposed to the enjoyment of God. This means Jesus is a monument of hope to us, as our reading says. We are the Gentiles who hope in his name. He is a monument of hope to us, especially when some religious leader or religious author or religious teacher comes and tries to lay heavy burdens upon us and make our religious life 500 pounds heavier than it should be. Jesus stands near to us then with his word saying, leave their shoulders alone. They belong to me. 
Those shoulders bear my yoke, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That is his protest. That is his ministry of justice against those who would burden his people. Imagine if all the Christian churches in this country taught all their members that they must rise and pray on their knees at midnight every Wednesday and every Friday facing Jerusalem. You would be a harassed people if that was required of you. You would want to be near to God. You would want to partake of his ordinances. You would want to be walking in his visible church. But then you would come up against this unjust demand. You would be harassed and a helpless people under a religious burden that you would think necessary to stay in the good graces of God. Now imagine 20 more, 50 more, a hundred more of those kinds of burdens. Those burdens would become so frustrating, you might come to hate God like Luther did. You might come to have no enjoyment of God. You might come to even forsake God and embrace the world, fooled by the devil that the yoke of the world is lighter and easier. It is not. All worldlings find themselves under the devil's yoke. But if you find an iron yoke in the church of God, it will be easy to fool you under the stress of it to adorn yourself with the world's yoke. Jesus came to put an end to that kind of injustice. When Jesus appeared, he found that thick, heavy iron yoke on the neck of his church. Here is what he said to church leaders. Matthew 23, 3. They preach, but do not practice. You might have wondered where that ever came from. There it is, Matthew 23, 3. He adds, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Then a little later in that same chapter, Matthew 23, Jesus again says to church leaders, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Matthew 23, 23. Church leaders who give a lot of attention to small things, but no attention to big things, soon become unjust, unmerciful, and unfaithful. What did Jesus mean saying church leaders neglected justice? He meant they oppressed God's people. Instead of giving God's people the freedoms and refreshment and kindness and patience and space that was due to them as the redeemed children of God, church leaders pushed their own man-made traditions, down on the church. Heavy burdens, hard to bear. They pushed these on the people 
And then, putting the halakha upon them, they then judged the people harshly when they could not bear up under the weight of the halakha. Now, last Sunday night, we heard how the Pharisees had many, many Sabbath traditions that could not be found in Scripture. You could only write two letters on the Sabbath. You could only erase two letters. And there were many more. But these could not be found in Scripture, but Jesus showed us that there were several Scriptures which even spoke against their Sabbath traditions. Well, tonight, Matthew takes last week's controversy a step further. He says that Jesus is fulfilling something foretold 700 years before the birth of Jesus, foretold by the prophet Isaiah. And at its core, what Jesus fulfills, spoken by Isaiah, has everything to do with justice for the people of God. Now, the typical Jew would have understood that the day of justice or the day of judgment was going to come when God himself came and wiped out all of the enemies of God's people who oppressed them. That was a very common, popular understanding of what the Jewish community was looking forward to in the justice of Yahweh, that he would stomp and remove all who oppressed his people. Well, Matthew is saying something like that, but different than that. He is saying that Jesus has come. He has come to bring justice, and he has come to bring justice not against the Gentile oppressors of the Jews, but the Jewish church leaders who oppress the people of God with their traditions. That's why he is quoting Isaiah here. Notice verse 18, he will proclaim justice to the nations. Then verse 20, he brings justice to victory. Now the big thing we need to understand about this passage before us is how Matthew is using the Old Testament text, which he takes from Isaiah 42, one of the servant songs. Matthew pulls this lengthy quote from the prophet Isaiah, and it takes up verse 18, 19, 20, and 21 in our reading. And Matthew introduces the quote by saying in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. What just happened in the life of Jesus Christ that was a fulfillment of something spoken 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah? Was it Jesus ordering those he had healed not to make him known? You see that in verse 16. Or was it something a step further back? Was it the healings themselves, those mentioned in verse 15? Or was it a step even further back from that? Was it his withdrawal from the Pharisees who had just determined to destroy him, as mentioned in verse 14? Or was it something even a step further back? Indeed, it was. It is everything you find in the first 16 verses of this chapter. 
what had just happened in the life of Jesus Christ that fulfills Isaiah's prophecy was the whole Sabbath controversy itself, both in the synagogue and in the grain field. The Pharisees demonstrated how unjust their leadership is. They are the oppressors. They are the offspring of the devil, Jesus called them. And they are in the hen house. They are in the house of God. And their oppression comes through their halakha, their traditions, man-made traditions, by which they try to rule and control the people of God. Jesus comes and demonstrates how committed to justice he is. He is so committed to justice, he is willing to expose himself to the hatred and murderous schemes of these Pharisees. He knows that opening his mouth will put, him, will put a bullseye upon him, but he will open his mouth even so. He will proclaim justice in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it will draw attention to him and make him a target for a murderous scheme that will ultimately succeed, even according to his own will. He will pay to bring about justice at the cost of his life. He will give his people true religion at the cost of his life. He will proclaim justice at the cost of his life. And his people will come out from under the iron yoke of man-made traditions and they will be bound to the word and rule of Christ. Now let's quickly move through Matthew's use of Isaiah to see the fuller picture of our Lord's ministry of justice to us. In verse 18, we read from Isaiah, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is a statement of God's own approval of his servant's son. The top men of Jerusalem don't approve of him, but God in heaven approves of him. This should remind us of the voice which spoke from heaven when our Lord was baptized. Mark 1.11, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Matthew has shown us that the religious leaders of Israel reject Jesus because he does not affirm their traditions which means he does not affirm their authority. But long ago, Isaiah foretold that God's chosen servant of justice would be loved of God. The Pharisees' rejection of Jesus is not what matters. What matters is God's choice, God's acceptance, God's love of his servant son. As the servant son of God Jesus pleases God in the deepest possible way because his purpose and his work is the very purpose and work of God, for he is the Son of God. There is no daylight between the servant and God in purpose and work. How does God's servant son go about his work then? Verse 18 again. I will put my spirit upon him, 
and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. When the prophets of old were commissioned to bring God's word to his people, it was often said the Spirit of God was with them or upon them. So here now, here now in verse 18, the quotation from Isaiah in the pen of Matthew, we are to see that God's servant son of justice, Jesus Christ, will be the prophet of prophets. The Spirit of God is upon him to proclaim. He will speak. He will teach. He will instruct. He will correct. He will challenge. We just saw that in, verses, in the opening verses of chapter 12 in the Sabbath controversy. Jesus says, have you not read? And he points them to 1 Samuel. Have you not read? And he speaks about the priests' duties in the law, Numbers and Leviticus. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He's proclaiming as prophet of prophets. He's bringing the word of God. He's intruding against injustice with a just dealing for God's people. And the justice of his word would not just stop within Israel, but it would extend deep into the nations to the Gentiles. You see, the Jewish leaders were so corrupt, so oppressive, to their own people, that even the Gentiles despise them and rarely wish to draw near to them. This is why Paul says of the Jews in Romans 2.24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. But Jesus has come to break the monopoly of injustice He has come to break through all the darkness and proclaim justice, not only to his people, but even to the ends of the earth. Even the Gentile nations will now be drawn to Yahweh because of Yahweh's servant son of justice, whose yoke is light, who pushes all the traditions of men by which men are oppressed in the church. He pushes them all out and over the cliff. And he suffers violence to do it. He is crucified to truly draw his people under his beautiful yoke of love and mercy. You see how much he has changed your religious life? You're so familiar with his easy yoke, it almost doesn't seem like anything has happened. That should just be a reminder to you how good he is, that he even wants you to have the ease of familiarity with a long life under a non-legalistic yoke, free of the traditions of men. Not free of Torah, but free of halakha and any analogical versions of it. <clears throat> Verse 19, then we find these words. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. What does this mean, and what does it have to do with our Lord's campaign of justice? It certainly cannot mean that he will not speak, because we have just saw, we have just seen in verse 18, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he proclaims. What does verse 19 have to do with his campaign of justice? 
Well, this verse means that Jesus will remain mild and he will remain gentle even as he engages in the work of proclaiming justice in the face of injustice. He will not himself take up the noisy, aggressive, brash, vulgar, and even violent methods of his opponents. He will not match their fire with his own fire. Not in this earthly ministry of Messiah. Bringing justice to victory by the means of the world is no victory. Bringing justice to victory by the means of the devil is no victory. He has no attraction to the world's methods. His methods are very different. Listen to how Peter describes the methods of this servant son of justice in 1 Peter 2.22. It could be an exposition of what we have just heard in verse 19 of Matthew 12. 1 Peter 2.22, speaking of our Lord Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus wanted his mildness to be a dominant feature of his whole campaign for justice. He wants people drawn to him for his mildness. Why? Because it will be a confirmation to them that he is the true servant of justice, that he has not come to oppress. He is the one who comes not to oppress men, but not to weigh people's religious life down with burdensome, vain traditions. No, his yoke is light. It is full of mercy. Remember what he said at the end of chapter 11? His yoke is light and full of mercy, and therefore his manners are a reflection of his yoke. He is a whole man of justice. His person and his campaign of the word and his shepherding of meekness is one of a piece. His disposition, his temperament, his manners are just like his yoke. Men are drawn near to him, not repelled away from him. Even the wicked, he is so gentle with them, so slow and patient with them. Very interesting Matthew Henry, when he comes to verse 19 and 20, he thinks verse 19 and 20 are all an exposition of our Lord's dealing with the unjust wicked in Israel. I have no protest. I'm not certain it's correct, but I'm certain it is wonderful because the Lord has been so much more patient with the wicked, even you and me. It is his gentleness and mildness that has drawn us to his cross and moved us on beyond it under his light yoke. Listen to Matthew Henry. Gently and without rigor he comes. Those that are wicked he will be patient with. When he has begun to crush them so that they are as bruised reeds, he will give them space to repent and not immediately break them. Though they are very offensive like smoking flax, yet he will bear with them as he did with Jerusalem. Henry 
is saying these verses 19 and 20 describe our Lord's dealing with the very Pharisees who jumped down his throat over the eating of grain in the fields on the Sabbath day. That he is being gentle with them so that they, the elect among them, would be drawn out from under the unjust, unjust, oppressive regime of Satan and fall at his feet and be cleansed and comforted under his yoke. Let's go then to verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And then 21, and, his name, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. A bruised reed is one that you would throw away. It has lost its usefulness. It commonly ends up in the circular file, which we call the trash can. But our Lord looks at that bruised reed, and he studies its condition. He doesn't just steamroll over it like the Pharisees do. He studies the condition of the reed. He gives attention to its weakness. He regards its condition, and instead of removing it, from his hand. He restores it. He nurses it. He suckers it back to strength. The same with the smoldering wick. He will not quench. It's almost out. Might as well just put it out and go to bed. The Lord recognizes its weak condition. He studies its condition and does not snuff it but draws near to it with mildness and woos it and supplies it with strength. Why is our Lord Jesus so gentle with whether it be the wicked, the Pharisees who would kill him, or with those whom they are oppressing? Why is he so gentle in his way? Beloved, he is gentle in his way because he is the true God of Israel. He is the God of, of life and love. He is not a false God who simply wants to see how many hoops he can get his servants to jump through and then go boast somehow to his ego or to other gods in the pantheon. He is the true and living God of life and love. And he is zealous to strengthen men to love his grace, to love his mercy, to love his tenderness. For such is how he loves them. He cannot draw them to love him in any other terms than the very same terms which he loves them. Remember, he has given his own body and blood for them. It is a testament to mercy. That which is oppressed and almost broken to the point of death, he searches for and marks. 
doesn't mark all the same. That which is oppressed and almost broken to the point of death, he does not discard. That which is oppressed and almost broken to the point of death, he restores gently. Even if it is those who are the oppressors, for surely they are almost on the verge of being snuffed out. And lastly, verse 21, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Some of these phrases are meant to be contrastive. Contrastive, meaning no longer need men hope in the rulers of Israel. No longer need men hope in the halakha to know that they are on the right side of God's graces. In the name of Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. How expansive and generous will be his ministry of mercy and justice that the whole world will be drawn to his name. There will be no other name in all the earth that will be known for mercy and gentleness and meekness and a light yoke like the name Jesus is known. And that is true today. There is no other name on planet Earth in all the nations of the world in 2023 that is known for meekness and mercy and gentleness like the name Jesus is. The nations hope in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that our religious life has tasted the justice of your servant. We thank you that he who has died for us lives for us, not to rule us with a yoke of iron, but to rule us, to direct us under a yoke he himself shares, a light yoke, an easy yoke, We thank you, Father, that you have indeed brought forth justice through Jesus Christ so far, so well, that we Gentiles in the far west hope in his name, pray in his name, sing in his name, gather in his name, live in his name. Oh, Lord, we thank you that justice of Jesus Christ, your servant, is prevailing upon the earth and advancing over it, and it shall come to victory in the last day, and it shall remain the constant forever. We thank you for your love of your people, even when we were the oppressors even when we were on the verge of being cast away for our oppressive wickedness, that you did not snuff out our life, that you did not snuff out our hope, but you fanned the flame, you strengthened the reed, and brought us to the Savior. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord of your people, that your word is the truth, and that you have gone against the oppressors, against unjust men, and you have put yourself in their bullseye 
and have borne their wrath and in so doing have liberated us all from your own wrath. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.